I want to, for the next few minutes, we're going to go through a journey through scripture. And, and um, I want you to, if you feel to, you can write these down as we go along. And um, you can go back later and you can read them. I'm going to be reading out of several different translations today to provide some better clarity on some things. Uh, but I want to uh, dig deep into something. I feel like for those of us that are in this journey of Antioch West, we are on a, we're, we're, in, a, we're, in, a, we're in a very um, cru- crucial stage. Uh, and I say that again, I know it's like, my God, he's been saying the same stuff for the last few years. Sometimes it feels that way. However, I feel like we're at a very crucial stage. And that stage is, is that we are, we are, we are switching from one mindset to another. We're shifting and we're allowing God to shift us. And we're very, it's very, very unstable when you're letting go of one thing and to embrace the other, there's a point in time where you're in between and you're in that in between stage and it's very difficult because there's some uncertainty there's some confusion there's some questioning and today by the power of the holy ghost i want to sort of bring some more clarity and a lot of this stuff is what has already been taught and the lord has just impressed upon me to teach it again to teach it again to teach it again that i can remind you in the holy ghost and through scripture what we're doing and where we're going and what this is really about And I'm asking you in Jesus name, you can listen to this through a traditional mindset. You can listen to this with traditional ears and you can argue all the way through it. Or you can embrace and say, God, what do you want to say? How do you want to say it? All I care about is what you want today. So you have a choice because honestly, a lot of the stuff I'm going to say today is not going to fit well with a traditional mindset uh, and a traditional way of thinking. And I'm not speaking that in, in, in a negative way. I'm not speaking against that negatively. I'm simply saying that what we're going to be talking about today may not fit well with what you thought church was supposed to be about. But God has a plan. He has a very specific plan of what his church is supposed to be. And we need to become that. That's not something that's an option. It's a necessity. Why do you think that in the first 100 years or so of the church... It got to the point that one out of every 10 citizens in the Roman Empire became a follower of Jesus Christ. This this small little group from this outer region of the Roman Empire in in, in Nazareth that raised up this this guy uh, that no one knew about that the Romans tried to get rid of and his own people got rid of. But that that movement spread across all of the Roman Empire. And by the time it was reaching its peak, one and out of every 10 Roman citizens were following Jesus Christ. That was in the midst of political turmoil, social turmoil, economic turmoil. They were fighting against everything you could possibly think of. We have it difficult today, at least we think. Nothing compared to what the first church faced. But yet they thrived. Why? Because they did some things and they had some things and their focus that we have lost. We've allowed religious tradition. We've allowed thinking. We've allowed our own uh, American way and frankly our own carnality to steal some principles that God has for his church. And in, realize, in real, realization, the church has really become institutionalized, marginalized, um, and, and, and really irrelevant to the world today. Uh, you know, the Bible says that there will become a day where we're hated of all men. How can you hate something you don't even know is there? And so we've got to, we, we've got, we, the church needs a shift. I think part of that, and I, I go back to this and I'm going to be all over the map today. So you got to just stay with me here. Part of that began with COVID, but unfortunately we are very, we're very, we're very strong willed. And uh, we we fight to bring things back to the way we want it, the way we think they should be. And COVID tried to get us out of that, and God allowed that to happen. But yet here we find ourselves back into this same um, same routine. And so today it's not about theology; it's about methodology. I'm not here today to argue theology. I'm here to say, here's the methodology that Jesus has and the New Testament church had. But unfortunately today, our methodology has become more sacred than our theology. I'm going to say it again. Our methodology has become more sacred than our theology. 
we are more we we have we know more about our methodology than we ever know about our theology but here's the point okay we need to shift what kind of shift what does that shift look like what does the Bible have to say about this shift? What's the, what's the proper way with shift? So I'm going to use a term today that's not original with me, but I've, I like it. And we're going to talk about today uh, from this text. We're going to talk about the need for a disciple shift. Now, I know we've already been doing that over the last couple of years, but we're really going to just dive back into it again today. A need for a disciple shift. That's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, to do that, we're going to dig through some scripture, and we're going to talk about really three, uh, five different shifts that need to happen today. We're going to talk about the need to shift from reaching to making, shifting from informing to equipping, shifting from program to purpose, shifting from activity to relationship, and then shifting from accumulating to deploying. All these are important shifts that we're going to talk about today that you need to understand these are not just ideas, these are not just tricks or just things to get us moving, but these are biblical principles that God has that he laid out to his church that the church is to follow. Now, let's dive into some scripture here because I got a ton of it. And uh, in order for you to sort of try to follow along uh, on another device, I've provided some help here for you today. So let's get right into it. Ephesians chapter three, verse number eight. Let's read that to me. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, one of the most dynamic New Testament churches there was. But he says this to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable. And that word unsearchable there means cannot be comprehended, meaning it's not an intellectual thing. It's a spiritual thing. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see, who does all leave out? Notice that, to make all see, not some, not a few, but to make all see. That's a huge point. You got to get that, to make all see. Let's go back to it. To make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. What's the mystery here? What's it talking about? Is it talking about mystery as in, ooh, spooky mystery? We don't know. No, mystery is the secret things of God, the hidden things of God. Our God is a hider. Not because he doesn't want to tell, but he hides. And then as his spirit leads and guides us and we become more uh, submitted to him, he reveals. It's not just something you open up a Bible and all of a sudden it's like, voila, there it is. It's hidden so it can be revealed, not by our mind, but through his spirit. That's why it's not about education. It's not about your ability to read. It's not about your ability to understand through intellect. You may have been a poor student, but you can be a you can understand the word of God because it's not about how well you understand intellectually, but it's about how your spirit is able to connect and God reveals these hidden things. Let's continue. What are these hidden things he talked about? It's the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, notice again, he's a hider who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. I, this is one of my favorite stretches of scripture right here. Must be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. You've got to get this right. God has hidden things and has put them into the church so that as the church becomes what God intends the church to be, that the heavenly places, those things in the heavenly places can see the manifold wisdom of God through the church. Now, if you can't, if you don't understand the power and the magnitude of what Jesus Christ wants his church to be, if you think it's just about coming to church and paying your tithes and showing up, and that's all that is, you've been lied to and you've been deceived. That's strong language, I get it. But that's you've been lied to and you've been deceived. That's not what God has. That's not what he made. That's not what he built upon this rock. I will build my church. He didn't build a club. He didn't build a society. He didn't build a hangout. He built a church. He built a church. And a part of that church was to put the mystery of God, the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God into that church 
so that that church could express the wisdom of God to the heavenly places. And we just want to come to church, sing a few songs, have an offering, hear somebody give us a good inspirational speech, say a few amens, maybe shed a tear, dance a little bit, sweat a little bit, go home and live our life. And is that the way God intended to show the wisdom of the manifold wisdom? Do you think that if Peter and Paul showed up today, what would they recognize? Would they recognize anything that we're doing? Where they go, yeah, I know this. I recognize this. You say, well, it's a different time period now. It's not the same. It's a different, we're in a different stage of our world. We're existed. Yeah, but you know what? The Bible says Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Peter and Paul and John and all those that gave their life for that New Testament church, if they showed up today, would they recognize anything we're doing? Would they? Would they see the manifold wisdom of Christ demonstrated in today's church? Let's keep going. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Now here's the point. I'm going to interpret that entire passage. Let's interpret it. We are called to be spiritual contributors and not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Mm, I'm going to say that one more time. You got to read that. I don't know if it's if you're reading from a screen that you can see and may be too small and you may not be able to see it, but we're going to read it again. We are called to be spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. So in order for that to take place, in order for us to fulfill what Scripture has given us, then we have to make some shifts. We've got to make some shifts because the way we are right now, the way we see church, the way we operate, the way we think church is supposed to be does not align with what God intended the church to become. And we're not, we're not impacting our world around us. So let's talk about that first shift. What's that first shift going to be? We got to shift from reaching to making. Shift number one is shifting from reaching to making. Let's get into a couple scriptures here for a moment, if we can, that are important. Let's go through them here uh, in 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 a, uh, succession. Colossians 1, 28, 29 in the NIV says, here he is the one. We proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. What wisdom? Not our wisdom, not our our man, our earthly wisdom, but with his wisdom, godly wisdom, so that everyone may that we may present everyone fully mature. That word mature is complete in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy Christ, all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What was driving Paul? What did Paul say was driving him? What was the thing that Paul was saying was was making him wake up in the morning and and keep going when he could have easily given up? What was the thing that when he was in a prison and he could have easily been consumed by his own circumstances, his own problems, his own difficulty, his own struggle that caused him to dig deep into his faith and say, you know what? I'm not done yet. God's not done yet. And we're going to keep believing. We're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep teaching. Paul gives us what that's about when he's writing to the church and in the book of Colossians. He says, we proclaim, admonishing and teaching with every all wisdom so we can present everyone fully mature. I don't have the scripture, but go read the end of Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, at the end there, it discusses the fact that it was talking to a group of people that weren't maturing. They wanted milk when they should be eating meat. They wanted to be taught when they should be the ones teaching. This is not for the elite. This is not for the pastor or the senior leadership or those who are in the, 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 who are the gifted spiritual ones. It's the will of God that every one of you, no matter who you are, no matter what you are, no matter where you come from, every one of you is being moved into a spiritual maturity. What does that mean? That means it's not just about would you come to church and we learn to teach and pay your tithes and we give you a list of things to do and a list of things you don't do. And once you do all that, that's it. No, that's not spiritual maturity. That's conformity, but not maturity. Conformity and maturity are not the same thing. We're not trying to create spiritual conformists. We're trying to create spiritual maturity. Spiritual uh, maturity starts with being 
doers of the word and not hearers only, as James gives us. So we've got to go from reaching to making. Because here's the point. We'll get to this a little later. But just to make the point now, I thought we were about to be reaching. Yes, but if we're only reaching and we're not making, we're really not accomplishing anything. You know, when we say become a follower of Jesus Christ, nowadays the word follow kind of takes on a different tone because you can follow somebody on Instagram. You can follow somebody on Facebook. You can follow somebody on social media. But that's all it is. It's a follow. You hear what they say, but that's not really impacting your life. You follow them. You can like or dislike what they say. And I think we think we have really become followers of Jesus Christ, but not followers the way God intended and the way Jesus described what it meant to be a follower. We become a follower in today's understanding of following. We follow God. We give him a thumbs up. We give him a thumbs down. When we don't like something, we comment on it. We give our opinion as if our opinion is God, God is going to listen to our opinion when we say, you know, God, you shouldn't be doing it like that. You should be doing it like this. And that's what we've got. We've become followers of Jesus Christ. But you know what? We're not supposed to be becoming followers of Christ, but imitators of Christ. That's what the word follow in, 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 in the original context meant. It's not becoming a follower of Jesus where you just see, oh, I like that. I like this. Oh, that was good. Thumbs up. Oh, I like this. That. No. Follower is an imitator of Christ. We're to be imitators of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow. So when we're talking about reaching, we're not trying to create followers of Jesus Christ from a from a, a modern day understanding of what it means to follow. We're trying to make, to bring to maturity so that we can become imitators of Christ. There's a difference. We're going to get to that in a minute, but let's keep going. Watch what Paul has to say. Ephesians chapter four, verse one says this. Therefore, I, I a prisoner serving the Lord, Notice this. Where was he writing this? He was writing this from prison. Not writing from this from the palace. He's not writing this from his uh, estate up in the hills. He's not writing this from his, uh, on, when everything's going right. He's writing this from prison. He says, Paul, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Meaning I'm in prison because I'm trying to walk with Jesus. I know this is not the message for today, but it's a good nugget to throw out there. There is no scripture that says if you walk with God and you do his will, that it means everything in your life is going to go according to what you think it should be. That you're not going to have any difficulties. You're not going to have any struggle. You're not, that's all, that's, if you've been told that or is that what you think that walking with Jesus Christ is about, then you've been told the wrong thing. You, we love to use as a, there's a scripture in Jeremiah. We say that uh, we quote all the time. It says, I know my plans for you that you would prosper and that you have all these things and you would live this live with hope and all these things. And we love that scripture, but don't forget that scripture was written to those who were facing 70 years of bondage, 70 years of being a prisoner. And we've got this idea that if I walk with Jesus Christ, that somehow will insulate me and isolate me from trouble and difficulty. I'll never have to just worry about anything else. God's got it. But in reality, it says right here, he's a prisoner for serving the Lord. Let's continue reading. I beg you to lead a life worthy. I love that. There's so much there to unpack, but we're going to move past it today. But I underlined it anyways. To lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Now, I love this. I love this. Antioch West, hear what this says. This is awesome. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Those of you in the second miler podcast group, you'll understand more about that scripture because that's what Jesus told us, right? In John 13, to love each other as Christ loved us right there. He's patient with me. He's patient with me with my faults. He's patient with me with my troubles. He's patient with me when I can't get it right. He's patient with me, even though he tells me a thousand times and I keep messing it up a thousand and one. But his love keeps reaching. His, his love keeps believing. He doesn't, he doesn't kick me out. He doesn't mark me off. And that's what Paul's describing here. He's describing what Jesus gave us in John 13. And he says, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there, now here, ready to go. Here's verse four. We know this. You, we quote it, but let's get to the, the gist of what he's saying. For there's one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through you all. What does that mean? It means he's over all, meaning he, authority and submission, his kingship. So we've got to start with his kingship. We're empowered. He's in us, meaning we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that through all is walking in his will by his grace. So Paul said, we're going to do all this before I even get further into this, which he goes further. We're going to read in just a moment. He said, all this happens. How? Because we're submitted to his lordship in our life. We're walking with the empowered spirit that he gives us. And when that happens, we can walk in his will. Romans 8, go read it. Romans 8 talks about when we pray in the Spirit, we pray the perfect will of God. We can walk in the will of God, and therefore, if we're walking in His will, we know that all things work together for good. Work together for good. Not for the good or for what I perceive to be good, but they work together for good within the framework of, of His Spirit working in my life. And Paul says it. He says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all, who is above all, in all and through you all, meaning lordship. We talked about it's not just about we've we've traded uh, uh, um, um, Christ the King for Christ the Savior. Jesus is my Savior, but Jesus came to become my King. I can't be in the kingdom without a King. We've allowed people to believe, and that's all that's necessary. Just believe. That's all I got to do. Believe, 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 believe. Yes, that's the start. But what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? I'm, I, I know I'm going deep. You've got to stay with me here. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? John chapter 3. He said, if you're born of the water and the spirit, you can enter into the kingdom. But if you get into the kingdom through believing and taking those steps of faith, then you've got to submit to the king. Not a partner. Not a, not a companion. Not a janitor, but his kingship. But when you submit to his authority and his kingship and you're empowered by the Holy Ghost, then you can walk in his will and be and have access to his grace. For those of you that were there last week when Brother Grossbach talked about grace and purpose, hand in hand. So the first step we have to make is go from shifting from reaching to making. The next one, once we've done that, we've got to shift from informing to equipping. So first shift, first shift, right? Reaching to making. Second shift, informing to equipping. Let's get back into it now. Paul just broke it down for us that here's those three, here's, here's that opening line he gives us in Ephesians 4, but he continues. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Notice, who gave these things? Who gave these things? Christ gave these things to the church. What did he give to the church? He gave this. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Why did he give these things to the church? For what point? What purpose? Why did he give these things to the church? Well, he gave the church for entertainment. He gave the church so that we can be ooed and odd and wowed by the giftings of, of, of those who hold those offices or those giftings? No. We've put those with those giftings. I'm going to say this is going to be strong, but you know what? It is what it is now. I'm, I'm, I'm so deep into it now. But we've made those five-fold giftings the star of the show. They've been the star of the show. Now, listen, I'm not a fisherman. I've been over this before. I'm not a fisherman. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I fish on a very rare occasion, but I'm not, I call myself a fisherman. But right now, I don't own any gear. So if you invite me fishing, um, I don't have any gear. But let's say, okay, you're going you're gonna to invite me to go fishing. And I got to go, okay, I don't have any gear to fish. I, I don't have any gear. So I go down to the local uh, sporting goods store, more than likely for me, it would be Dick's. Dick's Sporting Goods. Although Walmart now sells fishing gear, but I use Dick's Sporting Goods because they have a bigger selection. So I go to Dick's Sporting Goods, and I walk to the back. It's in for the one uh, that's closest to me. The fishing gear is in the back left corner. You can see all the stuff. Or let's just do it this way. Go to Bass Pro Shop. I'm sure I just got a few headmans with that, right? 
Bass Pro Shop is like the mecca, man. You go in there, and there's just nothing but fishing poles everywhere. So I walk in there. I'm Joel, the non-fisherman. I walk into Bass Pro Shop, and I go, okay, I got to go fishing because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I walk over to the guy and say, hey. Uh, he says, can I help you? I said, yeah, I want to go fishing. And he goes, man, let me tell you about fishing. Fishing's amazing. You're going to get out there, and you're going to put your you're going to put your line in the water, and you're going to get the bait. And, man, when you get that fish on the line, you're going to pull that fish in, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to be a great fisherman. Man, fishing's great. Fishing's awesome. Yes, fishing's great. I mean, I'm telling you right now, there's nothing like fishing. You can fish. You can fish. And when you fish, you're going to get that fish. It's going to be great. Man, have you ever caught a fish before? Man, catching a fish is amazing. I'm telling you what, the thrill of bringing that fish in, the thrill of having that fish come all the way in that, and you reel it in, and you know, with every time you reel it in, you're getting closer to see that catch. Man, that's going to be awesome. Good luck. Huh? Look at that guy like, what? Sir, you ask, I, I, I needed help. I know, I just helped you. I told you how great fishing is. Yeah, but I don't need to be informed. I need to be equipped. So you go in there and you say, hey, can I help you? And say, you know what? Here's what I would say. I, hi, um, I got invited to go fishing, and I have no idea what I'm doing. What's he going to ask me? He's going to say, do you have any equipment? I got nothing. What do I need? I don't tell him what I need. You know, I think I need one of them special lures. You know, one of them things that are just. And you know what? When you don't know about a subject, you best just not talk because then you end up, you know, I need one of them, them, them lures, you know, them special lures, and they. Just don't talk because you don't know. So what does he say? He says, okay, let's get you outfitted. All right, first thing you're going to do, do you have a fishing pole? Don't have one. Okay, what kind of fish are you going to be going after? He's going to want to know what kind of fish you're going after. Okay, if you're going to go after that fish, you're going to need this kind of pole. All right, check, get a pole. All right, what kind of, what kind of bait are you going to be using? Don't know. What kind of fish are you going after? Here's one. Okay, all right. He's going to make sure I'm fully equipped He's not going to go fishing for me, but he knows if he gives me the right equipment and then combine that with the right information. When I go out, he has certainty that somehow, some way I'm going to be able to catch a fish because I have the right equipment. I'm not showing up to fish with a stick. I pulled out the woods and a rope and say, it looks like fishing. No, I get the right equipment. And Paul said that evangelists, pastors, and prophets, and teachers were given to the church for a specific purpose, not to inform the church, not to be, oh, I got a word for you. The Lord's given me a word. You're called to be a fisher of men. Ooh, did you feel that? No, you're called to be used of God. Wow, how long did it take you to get that word, brother? I'm not making fun. I'm saying that we have turned those five people into the stars of the show because they're informing us, but nobody's equipping us. So what do we do? We go back to Bass Pro Shop and go, hey, did you go fishing? No, but tell me more about fishing. And then guess what they have at Bass Pro Shop? They got that big aquarium. You can go in there and look at it. Whoa, look at the fish. It's amazing. But you know what? Then you're like, you know what? I got it. If I want to be a fisherman, I got to get a job at Bass Pro Shop. No, you don't. You don't have to be a you don't have to get a an employee of Bass Pro Shop to be a fisherman. But that's what we think. Right? Oh no. We know that. But when it comes to the things of God, we feel like we've got to be employee of the kingdom in order to get the benefits of what the kingdom has to offer. No, 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 no. We've messed this up. We've got this all wrong. The fivefold ministry wasn't given to the church to inform the church, to wow the church, to be the stars of the church. It's supposed to be equipping you. That's you. I'm looking right into this camera, right at you, right there with your PJs on this morning. I know you still got your PJs on. Don't act like you're dressed. You with your P. It's talking about you to equip you for you to do it, right? Their responsibility. Their responsibility. Oh, I love that in the key. I love this in the NLT. Their responsibility, not their calling, not their, not their design. No, no, no. It's their response. It's the responsibility. Don't get me started on that. That's a whole nother subject for all another day. 
The responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, not our work, not some work, but his work, and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Is that word again? Colossians, Ephesians, mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about with every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us. Sorry about that. I forgot to switch over the slide. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ. Hello. Which is the head of his church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, together, together perfectly as each part. Who's the part? You are the part. I'm the part. As each part part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full in love notice that that every part does its special work now watch this let's break it down I'm trying to hurry, but let's break it down for a minute. What's that mean? That means I know people in Antioch West that have the gift of hugging literally you so said that sounds silly. No, because I know some people that literally their hug is like it is done not just in the flesh, but it's, it's a supernatural thing when they hug. It's like, a, it's like a gift from God. And what does that mean? They've got a special work. Now, if you're a man, don't be given the gift of hugging to women. I got the gift of hugging. Come, ladies. That's not what we're talking about. Let's back it up. <laughs> Suddenly, every single guy got the gift of hugging. Oh, my, yeah, brother. Pastor Joel said he got the gift of hugging. No, whoa, 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 whoa. Easy, easy. Hold it there, Sparky. But listen, there are people that have the gift of hugging. Sounds silly, right? But their special work helps to bring the body for each part to grow. Because I know there have been times where I've seen people come in down and got a hug from somebody and lifted them up. And they were able to leave and do the work that God called them to do because that person was, was fulfilling the role. Some have the gift of baking. If you've never had one of Sister Francis's gifts of baking... Is a ministry there. So when I say everybody's a special gift, everybody's trying to scramble around. I got the gift of words. I got the gifts. I got the gifts. I got the gifts. But every gift, every gift is necessary. Every gift is necessary so that we can work together and grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full and full of, uh, and full of uh, love. Notice this is huge here. Huge. This is what we're really talking about today. So let's go, let's go a little further here. So now we've talked about going from informing to equipping. What's the next thing we have to shift from? The next shift we need is to go from program to purpose. Program to purpose. Churches are replete with program, but very few of us understand the purpose. We fill our calendars up with programs, but we have not fulfilled the purpose. Jesus did not come to institute a program, but he he called us to a purpose. Let's go. We've read this before. Let's read it again. Mark chapter one, verse 16 says this. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother casting. Notice that first word, casting a net to the sea and they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's not that you are one, but I will make you become a fisherman. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and also were in the boat mending. Notice now we have two things that were happening, casting and mending their nets. And immediately he called them and said, uh, and called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Notice this thing. He did not offer them a program. He did not offer them a biblical scholarship. He didn't say, come with me and I will make you a biblical scholar. Come with me and study the word. Normal, when a rabbi would, 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 when you would follow a rabbi, you were following a rabbi for the study of the scriptures. But Jesus didn't offer that. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He knew, he knew what he was saying to these guys. He knew if I'm going to, if you're to follow me and make you fishers of men, he understood. They understood what it meant to be a fisher. 
because they were already fishing for fish. He was just going to switch to fishing for men. So they understood there was going to be some equipping necessary. There was going to be some equipping happening. And there's going to be some making. He said, I will make you become. Look, right there in that, we talked about the first shift from, 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 uh, from reaching to making. Jesus wasn't reaching for them. He was making them. I will make you become. First shift from reaching to making. Second shift from informing to equipping, right? Informing to equipping, right there. Follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. Fishing connotates you've got to be equipped. You've got to have the right boat. You've got to have the right equipment. You've got to have the right net, whatever. And right there, it shows that he was not coming to offer a program, but a purpose. Church doesn't need more programs. We're not going to reach the world for, through programs. We're not going to reach it because we have the best singles program, youth programs. We're going to reach it because we're coming into full maturity as disciples and imitators of Jesus Christ. And notice, two things there. I've talked about this before. What were the two things that Jesus found them doing? Casting, which is, a, which is, which is a, a symbolizing evangelism, reaching out to, 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 to bring in. And the other thing he found them was mending. And what's amazing, and you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again, the word mending there is to equip. They weren't mending as repairing, they were mending as equipping. So when we are bringing someone in and we're mending them, we're not mending them to repair them, we're equipping them. So Jesus said to his disciples, listen, we're going to be about two things. We're going to be about casting and we're going to be about equipping. But he doesn't stop there because the purpose continues. Mark chapter 2 continues. We'll get to that in just a minute, but let's stop right here if we can. If we're going to go from program to purpose, we've got to understand there's a purpose bigger than just my world. Coming to church, doing my thing. Because here's what happens. When you go from program to purpose, here's what starts to happen. There's a fourth shift that takes place. And the fourth shift is this. You move from activity to relationship. So when you go from program to purpose, it moves you from activity to relationship. Watch what happens. Mark 2, verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law, I love that, right? The teachers of the religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Boy, it doesn't sound like religious tradition right there. And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who think they are sinners. There you go, right there. There it goes, program to purpose. And because of that, you move from activity to relationship. Meaning, it wasn't just about walking around as if everything in your life is perfect, but active relationship, meaning he sat down and ate with tax collectors and sinners. But then it gets deeper. Let's go further here. I got, these are two large portions of scripture. I'll try to get through them as quickly as I can. Luke chapter 10, verse number one says this. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and set them up, uh, set them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. And these were his instructions. Now get this. This is what he told that group. He said this, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his field. I don't know why we don't use this verse as the number one verse to, that just stands above every verse. It seems like it should be. He's saying this, we don't have a harvest problem, we've got a worker problem. I don't mean to be critical, and I'm sure I'll get myself in trouble for saying this, but I'm tired of saying the harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. We're about to see harvest. It's like we're a, it's like no matter what channel you turn on YouTube, some preacher's telling you the harvest is coming. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus already told us, we don't have a harvest problem, we've got a labor problem. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You're arguing with me. I can hear it. I can hear your religious rhetoric arguing away with me. No, it's always a harvest. We got to believe for the harvest. He didn't say believe for the harvest. He said the harvest is great. You don't have a harvest problem. We got a labor problem. 
You mean to tell me in our county alone there's 600,000 people? In our state, there's what, 6 million? In our country, there's 350 million. In our world, there's over 7 billion. You mean to tell me there's nobody out there that doesn't need Jesus? We don't have a, a harvest problem. We got a labor problem. You mean in the 600,000 people in Anne Arundel County, which is the county that we're located in, there's not one person in 600,000 that doesn't need Jesus? It's not a harvest problem. It's a labor problem. It's not a them problem. It's an us problem. Why? Because we've been too, doing too much reaching and not enough making we've been too doing too much informing and not enough equipping we've been doing too much programming and not enough purpose and because of that we have all activity and no relationship we come to church pay our tithes dance and shout but no relationship no connection no no breaking down in someone else's world to getting in the dirt and the muck with them and then the, the religious leaders what was their oh how could you eat with such scum how could you soil yourself? That's what relationship does. It breaks the barriers. It's not about activity. And Jesus said, you don't have a problem here. You don't have a harvest problem. We've got a labor problem. We can sit back all we want and say, when the harvest comes, when, when revival comes, when, when harvest comes, man, it's, that's not the problem. It's when we finally get equipped to do the work of the ministry because we finally put the five-fold ministry at, at the place it's supposed to be in support of the church instead of the stars of the church. I know I just got fired right there. I feel it. I'm not getting invited anywhere. I'm telling you right now. I just got excommunicated. I got canceled. Cancel culture just hit me right there. I feel it. Make them the star of the show so everyone can go pack audiences and pack auditoriums and be mesmerized by these guys and their giftings. So while they tell us the harvest is coming, the harvest is coming. Hey, guy, read the Bible. Jesus said it already. It's not a harvest problem. It's an equipping problem because we don't have laborers. We got a lot of people that talk about fishing, that go to the store to see the people that will equip them to fish. And all we want to hear about is how great the fish are, how many they're out there. It's not a harvest problem. It's a labor problem. We got a labor problem, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus continues because then he gives them Luke 20, Luke 10. I'm going to skip down. It's 25 to 37, but I'm going to skip down uh, um, a little further to verse number 30. Jesus gives a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, I love that. And it's, by chance, a priest. I love that, right? Uh, by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side. More than likely, he was late to church. And then next, a temple assistant. Man, Jesus knows how to just. You talk about, hello, match. Hello, gasoline. Hello, explosion. Jesus was a master at that. He said, oh, by the way, a priest. Oh, by the way, a temple assistant. Both of them saw this guy, but both of them, both of them crossed to the other side. He said, but then a, a despised Samaritan came along. You're talking about the absolute greatest insult. Jesus just dissed on the priest and the temple assistant and elevated the Samaritan. Samaritans, I mean, come on, you just read a little bit of history. They hated Samaritans, and Jesus just used the Samaritan of all people. I mean, you're talking about inciting frustration. But you see, the first two were about activity. The third guy was about relationship. He stopped. He saw the guy. He went down and said, how are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need anything? What can I do to help? And Jesus said, this, this is the one. This is what the kingdom's about. This is what I'm trying to do. My God, we are filled with activity. You listen to most people's, uh, most Christians' uh, 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 calendar, it's filled with activity. I go to church on Sunday. I go to church in this way. I go to Bible study then. I go to group there. I go to do that. And you look at it, and it's filled with activity. But when you peel back, there's no true relationship. There's no relationship with God, and therefore there's no relationship with anybody else. It's void of relationship. So it's activity. Do you know what you call activity with no relationship? Religion. Religion is activity with no relationship. Religion is activity with no 
relationship. Activity with no relationship. And when this finally happens, here's what happens. The fifth shift that happens. We go from accumulating to deploying. What does that mean? That means we stop trying to build our kingdom. We start building his kingdom. That means we stop trying to build numbers and we start trying to impact lives. That means we don't build buildings big to hold all the people to come to talk about fishermen, but we spend our resources to deploy so we can reach more out there. The activity of gathering together was never for the purpose of reaching people. In fact, go read the New Testament church. You don't find where they came together to reach. They came together to be equipped, to be strengthened, to pray with one another, to care with one another, to support one another so that they could go out and do the work of the ministry. We're supposed to be reaching people out there. We're supposed to be reaching people in their homes, on the job, in the Walmarts, in the gyms, in the communities. That's where people are supposed to be reached. The idea that we're supposed to go out and bring people to God is not what he intimidated because that's accumulating or to be deploying. It's a shift, right? It's an inflow, not an inflow in, but it's an outflow. It's an outflow. Notice what it, what's the whole purpose? Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Not into, but out of John 7, right? When we receive the Holy Ghost, it's not an infilling, it's an outflow. But it's amazing when we're talking about building a church, we've turned the church into an inflow and God wants it to be an outflow. So we move from shifting, from shifting, from accumulating to deploying. And finally, our last couple of scriptures here is this. Afterward, he appeared to 11 as they were reclining at the table and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those that saw him after that and risen. And he said to them, go into all the world, go, 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 go. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall accompany those that believe. What are those that are believing doing? They're going. They're not coming. It's not happening in a church building. It's not happening around church people. It's happening because you're going into the world and proclaiming the gospel to the whole creation. All of creation. Man, woman, him, shim, he, that, thus. It doesn't matter. God says, Reach all of them. And this will happen when you do that. In my name, you cast out demons. You'll speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents in their hands. They will drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Where are they going to lay hands on the sick? Out there. Who's going to recover? Out there. That's why I'm sorry. I've said this before. I've stopped praying for church, for, for, for disciples of Jesus Christ to be healed. If God tells me he wants to heal, I'll pray. But I'm not going to pray for your healing unless God tells me to. Because if you're going through something right now, your heavenly father is the one that's in charge of that. Right now, I've got a condition I'm dealing with in my body. Every day I get up and say, Lord, I speak your healing over my body. But Lord, if it's not your will for me to be healed today, I, I receive your grace to walk in the strength necessary to do what you have for me to do today. Can he heal me? Yes. Will he heal me? I don't know. That's unbelief. That's not unbelief. It's the fact is whatever he does, heal me or not, I've got a heavenly father that knows where I'm at, what's going on, and I've got to trust him with that. Next verse. We know this one. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Again, not accumulate, but deploy. Not accumulate, but deploy. And finally, this last scripture. And we, can, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If anyone claims, I know God, there's a lot of people out there that say they know God, but don't obey God's commandments. That person is a liar and is not living in truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Here, there's the definition of living in God and knowing God. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Wow. Those who, those who uh, say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. I know it's cheesy 
And we've, we've often, it's been a cheesy saying, but it really comes down to what would Jesus do? I've said this before, truly being like Jesus is not asking the question, how do I become like Christ? But if Christ was living in me, how would he be? If, if, if Jesus Christ was the employee at your job, what kind of employee would be? If Jesus Christ was, was, was in your shoes, how would he be? It's easy to go the other way, right? Well, how, how would, you know, I want to be like Jesus because we kind of put ourselves in a different prime mindset. But it's really if Christ is supposed to live in me and through me, in my world, where I'm at. So let's just bring this full circle again if we can. The five shifts that we're trying to make here and the importance of them. Shifting from reaching to making, from informing to equipping, from program to purpose, from activity to relationship, and from accumulating to deploying. What does all that mean? It means this. That's why I'm doing that's what we're doing here this morning. Instead of doing what we normally do, we're doing this because later today you're going to be going to a small group or should be going to a small group. And in that small group, it's going to be about making, about doing the word, not hearing the word. And in that, you're going to be being equipped to be able to walk as Jesus would walk. And you're going to find the purpose in that through loving one another. And we're not just going to do the activity of church, but we're going to have to love and have a relationship with people in our group we don't like. That's why I say small groups are not about pushing you, putting you with your best friends. Sometimes small groups are about putting you with people you don't like because that's when you learn to how truly to love like Jesus loved. And really, this proves that we're not about accumulating, we're not deploying. So we are in the middle of a disciple shift. We've got to shift. Antioch West, we've got to embrace this. It's not just some cute little journey we're on. It's of such great necessity today that we can't afford to miss the revelation that God has for us. This is a, a revelation of great importance. It's the revelation. We've got to see this. God is trying to get us to see, hey, this is what I'm about. If we can grasp this and understand this and not get frustrated because why can't we do this? And why aren't we doing this anymore? And I don't like this. And it doesn't fit well. You know what? God's called us to do this because there's a world that's crying out for help. We have the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. But we've got to shift. Not about us. It's about him. And because it's about him, it's about them. So it's not about us, it's about him. And because it's about him, it's about them. There's a shift right there. From us to him, from him to them. So I know it's been a frustrating journey. It's been a struggle. It's been a fight. It's been a, I don't like this. I don't, it's uncomfortable. It's not appealing to my flesh. You know why? Because it's a shift. It's a shift. God's calling us to shift. It's a shift of mind. It's a shift of priorities. It's a shift of understanding. It's a shift of revelation. It's a shift back to the first century church, how they operated, how they went from nothing to impacting the entire world just by shifting. They shifted. And you and I have to shift with that. It's time for a disciple shift. We've got to shift. It's not a matter of of, uh, of, 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 it's not an option. It's a necessity. We've got to make the shift.